0: Today on Truth in Politics and Culture, we will talk about the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. We will dive deep into a new CNN poll on the 2024 presidential election. This is Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. Good morning, everybody. If you're listening live, thank you very much. appreciate you being over on Facebook since I've been kicked off of YouTube, uh, working still on getting on Rumble. Hopefully that will be before next week, maybe by the end of this week. It just takes time to get those kind of things set up. Uh, you may be looking and noticing a very different environment for me today. That would be. Uh, please don't adjust your your screen or or a panic. That would be because I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm at the uh, at a hotel here, uh, very close to the South Carolina Baptist Convention uh, Executive Office Suites, the building um, that uh, they occupy, and I'm here for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission um, Trustee Meeting, which will take place over the next couple of days. So we'll be doing the show here. Um, and and hang on just a second. I had to adjust the microphone. I have to turn it down, or it makes a big noise. Uh, we'll be doing the show here for um, tomorrow and Wednesday. I'll be traveling back home. Get home sometime Wednesday evening. And um, if there are any significant developments at the ERLC meeting, I'll pass those along to you. Um, things that I can talk about. A lot of the things that happens in a trustee meeting, as you know, is confidential. But there may be some things that I can bring to the forefront, and if there are, um, I certainly will do that. All right, I've got my Cowboys hat on today. The Cowboys started out last night against their division rival, the New York Giants, and it was a thrashing. It was just a good old fashioned country whooping that the boys uh, were able to to put on the Giants last night, forty to nothing. It was a defensive clinic. I mean, if you if you watch that game. You you've, you know, Daniel Jones was running for his life uh, the entire night. He could get nothing going. Now, it was pouring down rain, so if, if your passing game was going to be evaluated, uh, that was not going to be the time to do it. Sometimes it was raining so hard that, you, you know, when they pulled the camera back from the field, it was kind of hard to see the field. So it was about the worst conditions you could imagine for playing a football game if you're a quarterback. It's hard to hold the ball it's just uh, I, I mean it's slick if you it's hard to get footing. But um, you know, even so, the Cowboys put on a defensive clinic. Their offense, a lot of their offense was their defense. I mean, they caused fumbles, they had interceptions, had one pick six. Um, they had uh, well, what, I, I mean, Dak Prescott last night was okay. Um, and it's not time to judge him based on, what happened last night, and, and you can't even make – I heard the, the uh, sports commentators – I was kind of surprised that they didn't take the weather into consideration because they were talking about the fact that, well, it looks like Dak Prescott's going to be throwing sh- throwing shorter passes this time. He's not going to throw down the field. Well, you're not going to throw down the field. When it's raining so hard, you can hardly see down the field. Um, and, and so it doesn't make a lot of sense to evaluate – what they're going to let Dak Prescott do or not do in this new offensive scheme um, with, the, of course, the, the coach calling the plays. But um, it, it was enough offense to score 40 points, um, well, offensive and defense combined. Uh, but the real story, again, last night was the defense. The, J- the Giants could do nothing. And uh, if Dallas's defense plays lights out like that, uh, all season, their defense could really take them to a title game. I, I you know, you you've got to score points, uh, but if your defense is going to have that many takeaways, and um, if you're if they can get Dak Prescott's interception rate down, if he can feel more comfortable back there, Tony Pollard looked great running the ball. I mean, I think it was the right time to move on from Ezekiel Elliott and give Tony Pollard the opportunity that he's earned. And so, uh, anyway, I, kn- I know, I know, it's not a sports program. I just, I, I really um, I like the Cowboys. I like pro football, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we got the season. The Cowboys got the season started off with a strong divisional win. That's important. Okay, uh, Braves won over the Pirates yesterday. I think the final score is five to three. Um, and so, uh, Braves keep on their winning ways. Uh, They're not dominating the way that they have for part of the season, but they're winning enough games to stay way in front in their division. They're going to win their division, of course. And um, we're going to see how far, how deep of a run they can make um, in October. Uh, A lot of people believe they're the odds-on favorite to win the World Series. I, I never say that because I've been a Braves fan long enough to know that um, they they can blow it, and no matter how good the team is, um, and and I've been a baseball fan long enough to know that it's really I, I mean it, it's about who gets hot at what time. I mean you it, the bats for the Braves could suddenly go cold during the playoffs. Uh, the pitching could uh, cool off, and somebody could get hot and beat them in a in a short series. So. I keep all that in mind while I'm very, uh, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic. Um, I want to start out today talking about the serious stuff by talking about 9-11. Of course, we are um, at the 22-year point beyond uh, one of the worst attacks in U.S. history on American soil. And there's a good piece today. I was kind of uh, amazed at where it's coming from, but Clara, Clara Mulroy, writing for USA today, talks about this today, and, and I'm a little bit surprised at the lack of pieces of information that are out there about the fact that today's 9-11, that we commemorate this day, we remember this day, we we remember the firefighters, the, the emergency personnel, the first responders, the police officers, everybody who ran into a building that was on fire to try to save as many people as they could, and they ended up many of them losing their lives when the buildings collapsed. And I you know no greater love than it has any man than this that he would lay down his life for his friend. I, I, people who are trained to do this kind of thing, we expect them to do it because that's their job. but we sometimes forget that their job is to run toward danger while we're getting out of dodge. I mean, while normal people are trying to find shelter, get out of the way, get out of the burning building, get, a, you know, get uh, wherever we can find a safe harbor, these are people that even though they've been trained to do this, they have to make the conscious decision to do it in the moment when they know that their lives are in danger. And it, 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 it just amazes me, the courage of these people, that they don't hesitate. There's not a debate, okay, are we going to do this or not? No, we're here to do this. And so I want to remember them today. Um, I know a lot of communities are having 9-11 observance memorial services today. For example, my hometown, uh, Forest City, North Carolina. I was actually born in Ellenboro, North Carolina, but the closest town where when we went to town, we either went to Shelby or we went to Forest City. That's where I went to high school. And so they're having a 9-11 service this morning. It's going to get started, I think, at eight, as early as 8.30 this morning. And, um, you know, a, a good friend of mine, lifelong friend, somebody that is like a brother to me, uh, Tony Robbins, who served his his country well. He served as a U.S. Marshal. He served the United States Secret Service. And he retired from ATF after 22 years, I think it was. Um so just a someone who has been in law enforcement uh, his entire life served with dis- with distinction um he ran the uh, Fletsey the uh, federal law enforcement center training center down in Brunswick Georgia for 5 years he was the uh, special agent in charge in Charlotte North Carolina I mean uh, was did a tour in um uh, I think Baltimore um, in New, he was in New Jersey. He was in Washington. He was in Virginia. He's been all over the place with his family, and um, has, has served incredibly. Um, and he is going to be part of that memorial service today in Forest City. Uh, they're going to go for several hours with music and speeches, and Tony's going to give one of the speeches today. And I'm just really, I'm really proud of of him for that. He's got a wonderful family. He's, His daughter is a nurse at Spartanburg Regional. Uh, His son, Max, is getting ready. Well, let's see. What's today? I think it's this week. It might have been this past Friday. Anyway, he was leaving to go to flight school. I mean, he's going to be... He's a second lieutenant in the Air Force. Um, I was able to be at his commissioning service where he received his first salute. And I mean, you know, here's here's a guy who served. You can imagine um, somebody who is a dad who creates an environment in their own home of service. And what happens? His his kids end up serving. His son in the military, his daughter as a nurse at um, at a hospital there in South Carolina. So anyway, really, really proud of Tony. Uh, thankful to call him my friend. And I wish I could be there. I do. I had to be in Nashville this week for the trustee meeting. But I would love to be there in Far East City to hear him make his, deliver his speech in honor and in tribute of law enforcement who died on 9-11. Going back to Claire Mulroy's piece in USA Today, the September 11th marks, this September 11th rather, marks 22 years since the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center and Pentagon, an event that 60 to uh, uh, 38 percent of those survived in a USA Today Suffolk University poll said changed American lives forever. Um, so, uh, sixty to thirty-eight percent. I'm not sure that makes a, a whole lot of sense <laughs> in that that sentence. I, I'm I'm sure sixty to thirty-eight. It is it's the way it should be worded. That sixty percent of the people said it changed their lives or changed America's lives, uh, the lives of Americans, how we live our life. Thirty-eight percent said no. But on the morning of September 11th, United Airlines Flight 175 and American Airlines Flight 11 departed from Boston en route to California before hijackers crashed them into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. American Airlines Flight 77 hit the Pentagon while passengers attempted to overtake United Airlines Flight 93 from hijackers before it crash-landed in Pennsylvania. The 9-11 attacks left 2,977 dead across New York and Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. That's according to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. That total includes the 2,753 who died after the plane struck the Twin Towers, 184 people at the Pentagon, and 40 people who died when Flight 93 crash-landed in Pennsylvania. And, of course, all of us remember Let's Roll, Uh, passengers who decided that they weren't going to go down without a fight which is the American spirit, is it not? I mean, we, we still had that back on September 11, 2001. This idea that Americans, they don't give up, they don't give out, they don't back up, they don't back down. And when people actually had an opportunity, understood with some time what was going on and had an opportunity, they didn't just sit, sit down buckled in their seats to wait for the inevitable. Um, they tried to break in to the cockpit and take control of the airplane. And um, this is, I I mean, I've just, I can't imagine being in that position. People on their cell phones saying goodbye to their loved ones. I mean, um, it was a a horrible day. Um, And and I'm, you know, it, it bothers me that we don't have enough reflection about that day, I think, in our public discourse, even as we get further and further away. You know, we we, we have had so many events that have been altering events. Think about the the fall of the Berlin Wall. Think about, of course, the attack on Pearl Harbor. I mean, all of those events were life-shaping events that um, were so incredibly etched on our minds. And all of those events revealed in some way the resiliency, the determination the patriotism of the american people you know we after 911 for several weeks i mean I, I know it seems crazy that it was that short of a time but for at, at least a period of time the united states was together i mean we were absolutely focused on the our response to being attacked and we were we reached across po- the political divide and i just don't know that we would do that today. I mean, I can imagine if we were attacked by terrorists uh, or another country in the manner that we were attacked on 9-11. I I regret to say this, but I'm afraid that the first response would be from one political party to the other, finding the angle to try to use what just happened to hurt the other political party rather than thinking about all of us as being Americans and experiencing something together. Um, and this is... This is not a good thing. I mean, it's not a good testimony to where we have come in our political environment. Um, this, the, this story from USA Today has a breakdown of some of those who died. The, the youngest flight passenger who died was Christine Hansen, a two-year-old, on her way to Disneyland on United Flight Airlines Flight 175. The oldest was Robert Norton, 82, who was on an American airline was on American Airlines Flight 11, and of course all of the 19 hijackers, the militant Islamist extremists, which is what they were. And kudos to USA Today for using that terminology, because so many times today, if you say that they were militant Islamic extremists, part of Al Qaeda, um, you you can't say that. I mean, you can't. That is uh, Islamophobia. Um, it's nothing of the kind. I mean, it, it's simply an accurate description of those who took those actions that day on 9-11. And we're, we're not going to get into all the history in the background today because it would take up the whole program. But I just want to add my word of thanks and admiration to those who gave their lives that day to the families. I, w- I want to say to the families that had first responders die, or family members that died, people on any of the flights. Uh, first of all, the, the ones who died, many of them were victims. Um, we, we sometimes mistakenly refer to them as heroes. Um, they were victims of a terrorist attack, attack, many of them. The firefighters, the first responders, they're the heroes. They're the ones who made the decision themselves to put their lives in danger. Um, and I would put those who were on the flight that crashed in Pennsylvania, Flight 93, um, I would put them in the category of heroes because they fought back. They tried to take back control of the plane. Now, they obviously knew that the plane was headed toward maybe the uh, the White House or the Capitol, U.S. Capitol. There's been debate about exactly where that plane was headed or what destruction it was assigned to bring but the bottom line is because of their courage and the fact that they were willing to fight back that plane ended up in Pennsylvania where other innocent people were spared from from the ultimate fate and so you know we honor the heroes we mourn for them and we mourn for the victims and we think about their families and as Americans we need to remember this event because it, we can't allow apathy or the division that we have now politically and the tribalism that we're so guilty of in this country, going after each other because they're, we, we don't agree with each other. We need to remember that we're Americans and that as Americans, because of the things that we believe, uh, freedom, religious liberty, uh, economic prosperity and security, capitalism... So many of the things that we believe are under attack today, even within our own country, but certainly from countries around the world. And we need to remain united um, around our principles and this idea of self-governance, of the the people actually having say about what the government is and who runs the government. We, We are a we the people constitutional republic. And that's a very rare thing um, in human history. It's a rare thing, but, and certainly it is in the world today. So we should be, be proud of who we are as Americans. I mean, we've got a lot of problems. Some people say, you know, particularly I hear sometimes people with a Christian worldview, they'll say, how can you say that we should be proud to be Americans when Americans are embracing a morality and a value system that is so far removed from biblical Christianity. Well, that's true, but we're still the best hope as a country, and and by the way, our, our real hope in the world is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't ever forget that because political leaders come and go, national leaders come and go. But God is eternal in His plan of salvation and how the world is supposed to work. He is revealed in His Word, and, it is, and, and He's revealed it in the flesh in Jesus Christ. So that's where our hope should lie. But politically speaking, from a, a country standpoint, the United States is still the beacon of freedom and liberty to a lot of people in the world. That's why so many people want to come here. It's why we have to have a reasonable immigration par- uh, 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 program because we can't let everybody come here. It's better that the rest of the world gets its act together. But right now, the United States is is still the best example of a constitutional republic. One of the few examples. So anyway, um, I just we remember, we pray for those families, and we think about their sacrifice and what it means. For us, those us who are the living, what does it mean for us? How should it inspire us? How should it make a difference in our lives going forward, the fact that so many people were willing to give their lives? I mean, we, we should live in that inspiration and take up their passion for serving others. All right, I want to talk about some election stuff here uh, today. And um, it, there was a poll that came out, you know, we talked about the Wall Street Journal poll, I think, last week. Hang on just a second. I've let my coffee get cold, but I've still got to have the caffeine. Um, we talked about um, the Wall Street Journal poll last last week that was not very good for President Biden. CNN came out with a poll this over this weekend, um, going into the weekend, that <laughs> was terrible for Biden. In fact, it's caused panic among Democrats. I mean they they're really it's it's ramping up this call for someone other than Biden to be the Democrat nominee. And I'm, I'm sticking with my prediction. I, I don't think come January and I, I'm going to extend this out and I'm going to say by the end of January, I don't think that Joe Biden is going to be the Democrat candidate. I think that um, he he was giving a, a speech. Last night, he's at the G20 summit, and he actually told the reporters in, in the middle of taking questions that he needed to go to bed. I mean, uh, here, here's a guy who a, a significant portion of his own party is concerned about his mental acuity and his physical stamina. It, it's not a good look for him to say to the reporters, look, guys, uh, you know, answering these questions, it, I, I, it's time to go to bed. But that's a big concern that was expressed and this CNN poll among Democrats, now it's among likely voters. I, I need to be, you know, this, this poll at this point, I, I apologize, not likely voters, registered voters. This is, the CNN poll is a registered voter poll. So I tend to pay a lot more attention, and so do most people, to likely voters poll uh, because they're the ones that are going to make the decision. There are a lot of people that are registered to vote that are not going to show up. But even so, these numbers have Democrats very concerned about their candidate. Let me just give you some numbers. Nearly half, 46% of registered voters say any Republican choice would be better than Biden in 2023, um, this, this year and going into 2024. Now, think about that. Almost half say any Republican candidate. Uh, they didn't even ask about which Republican candidate. They just said somebody running as a Republican, 46% of of those that have come forward so far say that any of them would be better. Joe Biden's approval rating as president in this CNN poll, 39%. That's horrible when you think about going into an election cycle and you're at 39% job approval. 58%, say his economic policies have made conditions worse. And you know what? No amount of Bidenomics, no amount of President Biden trotting out with all of this information about how wonderful the Inflation Reduction Act is, they finally admitted that the Inflation Reduction Act was a lie, that it was that it was not about reducing inflation. It was about climate change and all the money that went to into climate change coming out of that that package. And now they're beginning to tout that, even though touting it is to admit that the American, to the American people that while they pretended to be concerned about inflation, if you remember when that bill was passed, inflation was at record numbers. And so they pretended to be concerned about that, while their real concern was climate change in the middle of personal economic pain of individual Americans. And I, I just don't think that sits very well with a majority of the American public. So even though you can see now at 58% in a left-leaning poll, I mean, CNN is certainly progressive, left-leaning, 58% of registered voters say, you know, the economy's terrible, no matter what the president says. People know what the economy is. If you want to know what's true about the economy, don't ask a political leader of either party. Ask somebody who's living in the economy and what it means for them and their family every day. 70% say things are going badly in the country. 70%, two-thirds, think that the, the United States is headed in the wrong direction and that we're in trouble. 51% say the government should be doing more to solve our problems. Now, i, I got to take issue with these people. Um, the government should be solving our problems? whereas that's a number that would reflect poorly on an administration, the last thing that I want is the government trying to solve our problems. The last thing that we need is for the government to step in more to solve our problems because every time the government steps in to solve our problems, our problems get worse as a rule. And so what we need are individuals. We need a government that empowers the people to solve the problems, a government that steps back by rolling back red tape and regulations that allow innovation in business in science and so many things instead of trying to micromanage the country. See, that's what the Chinese are doing, and it's destroying their economy. And the more we do it here in America, the more we put our economic power in jeopardy. So we need to stop looking to the government. I I, I wish this number was actually smaller simply because more people understood that the government is not the one, it's not the entity, it's it's not the people that run the government that are going to solve the problems for you and me. 58% of registered voters have an unfavorable view of Biden. 58%. This is—he's underwater everywhere, just about. I mean, when you when you talk about an approval rating of thirty-nine percent, but then fifty-eight percent is his negative. I mean, the approval is a positive number, even though it's way under a majority of the people. And and yet, when you start talking about his unfavorables, he's way ahead uh, in as far as the number of people that don't like what he's doing for the country—fifty-eight percent. Forty five percent say Biden cares for people like them less than 50 when you're the president of the United States. And you're being—you've been packaged as good old Joe, good old Uncle Joe, who cares about you, who is concerned about you, who has all these stories that are not true that he tells in order to generate empathy um, for him and with him and with other people. And that's kind of your modus operandi. And you get a—you—you cut you a poll that says less than 50 percent of the people, only 45 percent believe Biden. When he says that he cares about you, that's in the past, that's been one of his strongest numbers. But the more and more time goes by, the more and more we see him as president, people see that that's just not the case. 33% describe Biden as someone they would be proud of as president. Only 33%? are proud. They say that Bi- they would be proud for Biden to be president, that he proud that he is and that he would be if he was reelected. That's two-thirds of registered voters who say they, they don't feel proud that, that Biden would be president. 28% say President Biden inspires confidence, only 28%. You know, it, in a normal everyday world, he would be toast when it comes to the election in 2024. But I'm going to tell you why I think this election is going to be competitive. That's not right now. But when we get through these numbers, I want to throw out some other numbers uh, that suggest that it's going to be a competitive race, even though Biden is so far underwater. 26% say he has the stamina and sharpness required to be president. That means that 74% believe that he doesn't have that stamina or mental sharpness when only 20%, 26% say, yeah. We're, think about what we're talking about here now. We're talking about a standard for president. We're talking about something that should be a gimme, that the person who has the reins of power, the most powerful person in the world, arguably, and and yet only 26% <clears throat> say that he has the physical stamina or the mental acuity, to be president to carry out his responsibilities and and what what do the democrats think that that people are going <clears> to <throat> that they're going to suddenly agree that biden has got all this physical stamina and mental sharpness as time goes on no that number's going to shrink i mean it's it's not going to grow because the president is out there the more he's out there the less confidence people have in his ability because they see what's happening to him physically and mentally. 73% of Americans are concerned that Biden's age might affect his current level of physical or mental competence. In other words, there's the people that I was talking about just a minute ago, the 73% that are looking at this and say, you know, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. 76% are concerned that if elected, he won't be able to serve out his term. Yeah, if he gets elected president, it, it, they, they think whoever the vice president is, and in this case, it would be horrible Kamala Harris. I mean, I, I'm trying to stay away from a lot of these descriptive words and phrases, but I, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, every time she speaks, it, it's, she sounds like a soundbite machine that's malfunctioning. And, I, I, you know, it's, all, it's like a word salad so many times. Uh, where you've got the president of the United States, who seems to be incoherent because he's having some serious mental issues. You have the vice president of the United States, who doesn't seem to be having any physical mental issues. But when she speaks, it's difficult to understand what she's trying to communicate for most Americans. I mean, they have a problem. She's very, very unpopular, one of the most unpopular vice presidents we've ever had. And so people are saying, hey, 76% are thinking, this guy gets elected president, Kamala Harris is going to be president in short order, because we don't believe he can serve out his term. 68% um, say they're worried about his ability to understand the next generation's concerns. Well, I'm worried about his ability to, to understand anything at this point, let alone the next generation. Sixty-seven percent of Democrat or Democrat-leaning voters say it is very or extremely likely that Biden will be the nominee, but the same percent, sixty-seven percent, say the party should nominate someone other than Joe Biden. Now, I don't think that's going to happen unless Joe Biden f- uh, flounders. And and what I mean by that, something significant happens that demonstrates beyond any of a shadow any of a, a shadow of a doubt that he is not capable. And I, I still think that's going to happen by January, that the Democrats are going to be forced to go with somebody else. And, and these people, 67%, they don't know who the somebody else is. They don't, yeah, there, there's all this talk about Michelle Obama but there's no indication Michelle Obama's going to run. And I know that there's talk about that, that Barack is pulling the strings now and in the White House and that Michelle's going to come riding to the rescue and that Barack's going to pull her strings when she gets elected president. I get all that. I, and I understand some of that may be true, that some of that's going on. I, I guarantee you President Barack Obama is pulling some of the strings at the White House because of the number of people that worked in the Obama administration that are working in the Biden administration. There's no way, and and knowing uh, Biden's mental state at the moment, there's no way to plausibly believe that that's not happening. 70% of Democrats say they have some concern over his age, 5%, only 5% say, nope, we don't have any concerns. Those numbers are terrible for President Biden. In the CNN poll, when you start to match the candidates together, Trump is in a dead heat with Biden and, and this is what all the polls are showing right now. When you hear President Biden, uh, former President Trump say that he's got this commanding lead over Biden, there may be some outlier polls that show that. But when you look at the real clear politics average of polling, you put all those polls together and you average them out, you've got Trump at 47%, Biden at 46%. Now, that's still really bad news for Biden because he's the incumbent. And he should be way out ahead at this point. I mean, he should be at least eight, nine, maybe even double-digit points ahead of a challenger by virtue of the fact that he's the incumbent. But he's such a weak candidate that he's running in a dead heat with with president with former President Trump. In the same poll, though, when you look deeper into Biden's support, you see voters of color, minority voters, support Biden at 58%. Now, I don't know if you believe that Biden's only going to get 58 percent of the minority vote, but if you do, I believe you're mistaken. I think that number is incredibly soft at the moment. I think these people are waiting. I mean, it, it looks like there's no one that has any ability whatsoever to catch up with and pass Donald Trump, that Trump's going to be the candidate. But I think a lot of these minority voters are waiting to see what's going to happen before they commit. And I'm, I'm telling you, I believe they'll come home to the Democrat Party because that's what ha- what has happened, generationally speaking, if you look back at the last election cycle in 2020, Biden won 92% of the black vote. He won 59% of the Hispanic vote, which was a low number for Democrats. I mean, uh, Trump cut into the Hispanic vote, and Republicans have been doing, doing a good job at pulling Hispanic voters away from the Democrat Party, but it still majority favors the, the Hispanic voters, a majority are still loyal to the Democrat Party. Seventy two percent of the Asian vote. That's what Biden got in 2020. So when you look at those numbers, that 58 percent is soft. I I don't think I think a lot of these minority voters, as time goes by, they're they're going to go back to President Biden because they're going to go back to the Democrat Party. They're not going to switch over in significant numbers. I mean, I think President uh, former President Trump could pick up more minority voters. But 92% of the black vote, 72% of the Asian vote, 58% of the Hispanic vote, he's not going to pull away enough support in order to weaken Biden significantly. I think those voters are going to return. Now, it's just, when you look at the last elections, I mean, when you see a major sea shift in politics, uh, that would be stunning if if the numbers, if, if Biden... And, and let me say this. If Biden ends up getting 58% of the minority vote, if this poll holds, he's toast. I mean, he'll lose to Donald Trump. No question. I mean, he can't. Biden can't get elected president with 58% of the minority vote. But no Democrat has lost more than 30% of the minority vote in generations. And so I, I think they, that when, if the issue comes down to Biden or Trump, a lot of them will vote for Biden because he's the Democrat. Um, I think Biden is going to run the exact campaign that he did last time. I don't think he'll debate Trump. I, I really don't. I, I know uh, you know, Trump is skipping the debates with the other Republican candidates. Um, Biden's not going to debate. I don't think there's going to be a Democrat debate. There might be. Uh, but I, I, I would be surprised if they let Biden out on the stage in a, a Democrat debate, and they're certainly not going to put him up in a debate against Donald Trump. So what, what he's going to do is he's going to come out, make a campaign speech, and then go back to wherever he holds up until it's time for him to come out again. That worked for him in 2020. Now, I know COVID um, had a lot to do with that, um, and you've got the election irregularities, all those things that factor into this. But, you know, before we think too much about the fact that President Trump was able to win with about 47% of the vote against Hillary Clinton, look, Hillary Clinton was extremely unpopular. And people thought that she was going to win. I mean, if you think about it, part of the problem that she had is that a lot of Democrats who didn't particularly like her stayed home because they thought she had it wrapped up. I mean, that was, you know, when when the remember when the uh, election return started back in 2016, it was showing the I think it was the New York Times that was showing that uh, Hillary Clinton had like a 99% chance of winning and she lost. She lost in Wisconsin. But when she lost Wisconsin, she lost. President Trump got fewer actual votes in Wisconsin than Mitt Romney did. Against Barack Obama. So it wasn't that Trump's support was so strong in Wisconsin, although he got, he, he won a, a a good majority of the votes. It was that Hillary Clinton was so unpopular and people didn't turn out for her. They just the the Democrats thought that she was going to win and they stayed home because they didn't like her. And I don't think that's going to happen in this election cycle. Because I I don't think the Democrats are going to let that happen again. I mean, I think they're going to, they'll turn out. They turned out for Barack Obama because he was very popular. And that was enough for uh, President Obama to overcome Mitt Romney in Wisconsin. And because they didn't like Hillary, they didn't show up, then it gave Trump the advantage, and he won. And he won the election. He won it. I mean, it was a stunning victory for President Trump. But it was very very close, and I I don't see that happening again in 2024. Maybe it will. Uh, now a lot of people who are Trump supporters believe that he's going to win big in 2024, and, but I just don't see that in these numbers. Now it's a long way until the election, but um, I I just think I I think President Biden, what you're going to see. Between now and the election in November, if Trump is the nominee, it's going to be all about fascism. It's going to be all about Trump has been—he's either on trial or he's been convicted. You realize his trials that are coming up—that they're all going to take place in the heart of the election season. And yes, that's the Justice Department. I mean, that's—that's well, not the Justice Department. In one case, it is. But in all of these cases, Democrats are working to get these trials, and, and the, the judges so far are agreeing to have these trials taking place during the election cycle. That's going to negatively impact the president, president Trump. It can't help but do that. And I know you're thinking, well, every time he gets uh, indicted, his poll numbers go up, he gets stronger. Yes, that's within the Republican Party. The Republican Party loves Donald Trump hands down, no question, vast majorities. He's way out in front. He's still between 58 and 60 percent of, of, uh, ahead in, of all of the other candidates, which is why he's not going to debate. But it's not the Republican primary voters that are going to elect him. You have to look at the rest of the country. And when you look at the breakdown, In the CNN poll, between support for Biden and support for Trump, 56% of voters with a college degree support support Biden. I I don't get that. I really don't understand, uh, except that most of our colleges, not North Greenville University. North Greenville University, where I work, is the place where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society. So we're turning out conservative believers who can make our country stronger because of the foundation, not only academically but spiritually, and, and that, we're, that we're offering. I mean, we're making good leaders, not just people who have a degree. But when you look at college voters, college-educated voters now, the vast majority of colleges and universities in the country have been taken over completely by progressives, so that's not a surprise. of voters under 35 support President Biden. That's not a surprise. 55% of those voters under 35 are all about the social agenda. They support Biden because he supports abortion. He supports transgender surgery for minors. He supports, I mean, all these things that are the uh, moral questions that are being raised in the 2024 election. Biden's position appeals to those that are under 35. 53% of women support President Biden. Trump has majority support, 53% of men. Voters without a college degree, 53%. But here's where the problem is. And I, I, all I'm telling you is the, the, the Trump train is probably unstoppable. But when you look at the general election, and I wish more people would at least consider this because I, th- I think the attitude among Republicans is if we just get Trump the nomination, he's a shoe in to beat Biden. He can beat Biden with a blindfold on. He, he's gonna he's gonna really beat this guy because he's, the guy's not mentally there. he's not physically there. All the things that we talked about in the poll. But it, and, and, and these, these things make, Donald Trump looked very electable. I, listen, I get that. I I know there are people, um, friends of mine, who are big Trump supporters, and they're saying, "Man, I look at these polls, and I, and I see Biden and Trump in a dead heat, and you know it's not going to end up in a dead heat. Um, it, it's gonna the voters are going to break one way or the other." Well, here's the problem: independent vote voters right now support Biden over Trump, forty-seven to thirty-eight percent. Suburban women, 51 to 44% prefer Biden over Trump. Now, if those numbers hold with independents and all the Republicans vote for Trump and all the Democrats come back home to the Democrat Party, I, I'm, I'm having trouble seeing a, tr- a victory for Trump. And I think we should be concerned about this. I don't, you know, the Democrat Party's in a panic. I don't think the Republican Party needs to be in a panic but you're going to have, over the next time period of the election, it's the news media is going to be all about trials. They're going to make it about the past. They're going to make it about January 6th. They're going to make it about Trump and, and extremism and, and on and on and on. And they're going to pound away at that. And that's going to be hard for the electorate to overcome, I think, when it's just 24-7, Trump is evil, Trump is bad. And, and especially with these trials taking place. And some of them are going to be televised. Um, it's going to be a spectacle. And I know, I hear you, I hear you. I hear the ones that are saying, oh, you don't get it. That's going to turn people in favor of Donald Trump. Yeah, it's going to turn Republican primary voters more in favor of Donald Trump. I agree. But I don't know what it's going to do for the rest of the electorate. And we can't win this election with Republican primary voters only. I think that's a reality that we need to face. Um, now, if you look at, at at Trump, as we said, it's 47, 46. DeSantis is running 47 to 47 with Biden. Uh, Biden is down two points to Mike Pence, 46 to 44. He's down two points to Tim Scott, 46 to 44. Uh, Biden is up one point over Vivek Ramaswamy, 46 to 45. He's down two, uh, Biden is down two points to Chris Christie, 44 to 42. This is CNN poll. The only one that's that's winning significantly over Biden, it, this is interesting. Nikki Haley has a clear lead, 49 to 43 over Biden. And you better believe her campaign is going to be out there touting that. She's going to become the candidate that can beat Joe Biden. Now, I, part of the reason for this is I think that, A lot of the other candidates are going after the Trump Republican-based voters and that Nikki Haley is beginning to draw some people, some of these people, the college-educated that... or don't, don't particularly like Donald Trump, more of them are beginning to gravitate toward Nikki Haley, and I think that's part of the reason that her numbers among registered voters is a little bit stronger than the other Republicans, because people see these other Republicans as being trump light, and they don't see Nikki Haley that way. Um, so I, I could be wrong about that, but that's just kind of the way I see it. Uh, right now, Republican voters say that they are extremely motivated to vote, 71%. Democrats are at 61%. Now, I don't think that's going to hold. I think that's happening right now because Democrats are dispirited over their candidate. I think if you've got a straight-up fight between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, those Democrats are going to crawl over broken glass. Now, I may be to vote. I, I, I just can't see... I mean, I I think when we have, as I talked about earlier, this media onslaught that we're going to see through the election cycle, I think these Democrats are going to come back home and they're going to vote for Biden and that they're going to be motivated to vote. You know, it's, yeah, back in 2016, the Democrats didn't like Hillary Clinton. Okay, here we are in 20, going into 2024. The Democrats don't like Joe Biden, but... They were being told over and over that Hillary was going to win, no problem, hands down, that Trump doesn't have a chance. And so they stayed home. Now they're being told that Biden's in real trouble. All these poll numbers, why do you think CNN as a, as a progressive outlet is putting this, putting this information out there? This is motivating progressive voters to understand that if, if they could lose and to make them more determined to get out and vote. Um, I think that uh, approach is going to bear some fruit over the next, as, as we go through this election cycle, for the reasons that I've already talked about. So, I, I, because I, I just believe that having Trump on the ballot, because it's been true ever since he won the presidency, and all of the, in the midterm election, in, the, in, in all elections that have taken place since Trump won the presidency, Democrat turnout has been heavy, it's been strong and i believe it's because trump is on the ballot and when he's on the ballot again uh even though he he wasn't on the ballot in 20 in, in the midterms in 2022 he put himself on the ballot because he made it about him he he went out and endorsed all these candidates in the and you need to keep in mind that the high profile candidates who you know, it, it, that the endorsement might have made a difference. I mean, it, Trump endorsed a lot of candidates that would have won without his endorsement. But the ones he endorsed that really needed a boost from his endorsement, most of them lost. J.D. Vance, the exception in Ohio. And a lot of people think J.D. Vance is in the category if he would have won anyway. But that's, that's something that we, you know, we can ignore it if we want to ignore it. Republicans lost two runoff uh, races in, in Georgia, Senate seats. Lost them. I mean, if we'd have won those two Senate seats, can you imagine the, the difference that the last uh, three and a half years would have made? What, what, we'd have had Biden, we'd have had the, we'd have had the Senate and, Re- and the House in Republican hands. I mean, it would have been a complete stalemate. Uh, in terms of stopping a lot of the bad policies that the Biden administration has tried to put out there. But we lost the Senate. And, I, you know, call me crazy, be mad at me, whatever, but I will forever believe that it had a lot to do with Donald Trump's behavior. I mean, he basically, even though he showed up in Georgia and he told the people they had to get out and vote, it was after saying over and over again that the election's rigged and it doesn't matter. And I I think a lot of people stayed home in Georgia that if they had voted, Republicans would have kept the Senate. All right. Um, anyway, just some information about the election day, a few of my thoughts, and I hope I'm wrong about a lot of it. Um, I want to wrap up today with just a, a point of personal privilege. Um, you know, I talked about, um, the loss of Jimmy Buffett and how Jimmy Buffett's music was a lot of what I was listening to when I was in college. But I wasn't a believer when I was in college. I, I wasn't following Jesus. I got saved in 1984. I graduated from college in 1980, and I was I really liked you know rock and roll music. I mean I, and and when I got saved, I looked around trying to find music that would encourage me and enhance my walk with the Lord, but was in the style of music that I really enjoyed. And I found this guy, Mylon Lefevre, and the group Broken Heart. And I wore out, I mean, I, I started out, quite frankly, with cassettes. And then it was CDs. And, you know, and, and of course, now I've got all of Mylon's music in my electronic library, Um and thankfully, Mylon is on Spotify in probably Apple Music. If, if you want to find out, uh, he's got an amazing voice. It's very unique. Um, if you go to Spotify, if you go to um, Apple Music and look it up, Mylon LeFevre and Broken Heart, I, I really think that you would enjoy his music. Um, the Warrior is one of my favorites by Mylon. It's an invitation type song. And one of the lines is, come on home to the Father, come on home to the Son, come on home, the battle's over, Christ has won. And I can remember, I mean, I've, I've been to a lot of Mylan concerts where I saw many, many young people come to know Jesus as Savior. Because what Milan would do, and by the way, he was saved out of a lifestyle of drugs and and alcohol. I mean, it, it was it, his life was spiraling out of control. He came to Christ and became one of the most popular Christian contemporary rock and roll Christian singers of the era, and certainly my favorite. I mean, I've I've been to six or seven Milan concerts, I've forgotten. But what it, what they would do is come out and, and they would rock, I mean, for an hour, just rock the house. And then Milan would get everybody off the stage, and he would come out with a Bible in his hand that looked like it had been run over by a transfer truck. I mean, it was obviously... This, this is a, a copy of a book that was well-worn, well-studied. I mean, I've, I've always loved the phrase that says, if you find somebody with a well-worn Bible, a frayed Bible, you're going to find a life that's not well-worn and not frayed. I mean, it's a life that's coming together. If the Bible's falling apart, the life is probably being held together because of what's coming from God's Word into that person's life. And that must have been true with Mylan, because he would bring out that Bible and he would flop that thing open, and he just preached. I mean, he preached in a way that was simple, easy to understand, and when he preached, people came to Christ. God used him in an incredible way. He used him in an incredible way in my life. I mean, I you know, I don't, I don't know any other way um, to say it. Uh, he encouraged me as a young believer. He encouraged me as someone who loved the Lord and could present the gospel in a form that as a new believer for me, even though I was older, um, I was, let's see, how old would I have been uh, in my, uh, between 25 and 30, I guess, but um, I, I, I was older at the time. But, but still, I mean, when I took youth groups, when I went into youth ministry and I took youth groups to the concert, I took them because I believed that there was a good chance if there were those who didn't believe that they'd come to know Christ because of what Mylon was doing. But I also took them because I just wanted to hear him again. I loved his music. I loved the way he communicated. Um, I liked his preaching. I, I liked the way um, it, it, it affected me. It made a difference in my life. And when somebody... Makes a difference in your life. You remember those people. The reason I'm talking about it, Milan passed away um, on Friday this past week. He was 79 years old. He had cancer, and I just, um, you know, I just wanted to remember him today. And um, I, I, I mourned his passing over the weekend. You know, I, I, I sent a text to my my daughters, and my son, and several people. I said, you know, I'm, I'm losing so many of my influencers. <laughs> the people who has have kind of poured into my life, even though I didn't know them personally, of all of them, I suppose I knew Chuck Colson the best uh, because I actually had dinner with him and was able to talk with him several times me, and and before he passed. But, and um, you know, all these other people, I, n- I never really met them. Well, I met Mylon one time, uh, just a, hey, how you doing kind of thing. But the influence that they had was their ability to speak the gospel truth plainly uh, and powerfully at the same time, um, and to move me with their creativity and the way that they communicated. So and, and the content, I mean the things that they said carried such weight because they were leaning on biblical truth. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I remember Milan today. And uh, I'm thankful for all that, that he brought into my life. And so instead of ending up with God is in control, you know, I start out every show with um, uh, Crank It Up, which is a Mylon LeFevre and Broken Heart song. And I want to leave you today with Crack the Sky, which is another song that Mylon did that talks about the coming of Jesus, just a little bit of his music. God bless you. I'll see you in the morning at 730.